You know, my grandma used to say that my hair liked to stand up and wave at everybody. Guess that's why I have a green screen. Hello, and welcome to the Voice of Reason podcast. Today's guest is Carrie Smith, who is a co-host, along with Carter Lauren, of Unsafe Space, which is a podcast and YouTube channel that tackles similar topics to my channel, being the ways in which what we call wokeness is encroaching upon various different cultural domains and trying to shape them in its image. In this conversation, we talk about the image of wokeness and being actively anti-woke and the problems with leaning too much into being against something. Human beings need to be for something to be healthy. That's kind of our hypothesis. We explore that and then get into what we are for. Definitely check out her podcast and her YouTube channel. Relevant links are down there in the description. Without further ado, here is Carrie Smith. So I used to be a comedy manager, talent manager, and uh, I quit doing that when I started leaving my old belief system because all of my, my whole career had been built around being a social justice kind of manager. I've worked with feminist Mm. comics, trans comics, um, uh, every comics who talked about racial justice. It was all SJW comedy. And then it, yeah. Was it funny? You know, that's a great question. Some of it was funny. Some of it I still find funny. I think it's a lie when people say social justice can't be funny. You can make funny jokes, but a lot of, a lot of it now is just because it became popular, then everyone started doing it. And now you have people who are not like true believers just doing it because they get TV shows when they do it. And it, I think a lot Mm. of that is pandering and lazy and not funny. Like Jim, Jim Jeffries is a good example. I use He He just suddenly went woke to be on television, you know, anyway, I'm sorry on a tangent, but yeah, I don't do that anymore. I quit, I quit my career so I could, do unsafe space and talk about what I want to talk about. And, um, uh, and then I just started working gig jobs. So I was working at my friend's cowboy boot shop for a while. And then I was working at a winery. Oh, and, wow. You're like yeah. Daniel day Lewis. <laughs> Why? What is he? <laughs> I don't know. He takes breaks from acting and like gets into like weird crafting activities. Oh, he like does? he's living some MMO. He's going to up his leatherworking skills for a couple of years. Cool. And then- Work with I would love Anderson. to do leatherworking. Like, I, actually, recently I've become very interested in welding, and oh, yeah. I met this welder in my little town, and I'm I'm considering an apprenticeship. I'm like, I just really like to learn something like that, like a hard skill or talent. Yeah. Uh, but anyway. Well, you know what? Speaking of social justice comedy and the probably the error of castigating it all as uh, worthless or, or not funny, uh, it seemed like – so I was thinking about today or something I think about uh, over the last couple of years is the um, – you know, the, the Daily Show, uh, when it was – when it was the underdog, it could position itself as the underdog. And so a lot of the stuff that would eventually become decadent, uh, unfunny, uh, what we call SJW or woke, uh, humor, right. woke uh, media, uh, it, it works when it was the underdog or positioned yes. as the underdog. But once yeah. once it became dominant, once it kind of won and became the way that everybody interacts with news, right? Uh, all those people, not John Stewart, after John Stewart left, it seems like all the people who were the correspondents got their own shows and they were part of the establishment. And so when they were punching up, they weren't really actually punching up, right? Because they so were. Right. 
on top. Yeah, you're so right. It depends on they the whole punching up, punching down thing. It's like, well, who's holding the dictionary of which direction is up and which direction is down? Because yeah. a lot of what they do now that they consider punching up is really punching down. They just don't. Yeah, I think it's it's that whole Scott Adams thing about living in two different realities or watching two different movies. Mm. Like the movie in the movie they're watching. I was saying this on Twitter to someone the other day. They asked, did you ever think that social justice would go mainstream like this when you were in it? And no, I didn't. I I could never have fathomed it would be where it's at now, even when I was pushing for that. But I also think if for some reason I were still in it and had not woken up and had not gone through that long transition – I don't think I would be, I, I would be in that other movie. So I don't think I would look around me at everything that's happened since June and say, you know, my belief system has become culturally dominant now. Thank God these ideas are in the mainstream. Now. I think I would look around and say, gosh, white supremacy's gotten so much worse, you know, mm, and mm-hmm. patri- the patriarchy is so much worse. I, I think I, I truly think that's what they see when they look around. They don't see their belief system as having made mm-hmm. all these gains. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like always like we have to do more. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I'm yeah. I'm having a. What were you gonna say? Oh, I have a bit of a headache, and okay. uh, but it's gonna go away. I feel good about it. I'm willing okay. it away. Uh, but if I seem a little distracted, it's because I'm like, oh, this pain in my head. Okay. Anyway. Um, we can take a break. Uh, half no. an hour in or something like. No, that. I'll be fine. Okay. My I usually have ibuprofen, but. My housemate, it's funny, nobody in this house ever gets sick, really. And then uh, she has a bad toothache and is going to the dentist today and, you know, was taking um, stuff for it last night. And then this morning I, I said, you know, I've got this headache. I've got this and this thing I'm doing. I need to, where's the ibuprofen? And it just happened to coincide with her toothache. It's all gone. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. I'm sorry. It's fine. I'm sorry. I've been having a back and forth with, well, no, not really. James Lindsay, uh, do you know him? He's at yes. Conceptual James James on uh, Twitter. Yes, we've he's had been him on my on show. show oh, yeah, you've had him. Yeah, he, he's yeah. a regular guest on my show too. Uh, one of my favorite. Uh, I guess we're friends now, uh, beyond <laughs> internet friends. Uh, but he goes pretty hard. He's known for going very, very hard against the woke, and uh, even so far as to alienate people who are on the middle ground or trying to forge a middle path. And uh, maybe I'll bring it up, but. Uh, He said last night that he petitioned, if you are a business owner or operator, fire everybody that's woke in your uh, institution because, you know, and he's got good reasons for that. But I push back. I'm like, we can't go around and just cancel people for their beliefs. You know, Uh, Mm -hmm. we have to find a way to empower conscientious objection to it. We have to, you know, give the center people, the people who are quiet, the people who just go along with these seminars and do all the actual work in the companies to stand up or to resist uh, the advancement of what we call woke. And part of part of what we call woke is this never being satisfied. They're never there. The end of history is we're always uh, Achilles and the tortoise. Like the, they, every gain in justice, they're still only halfway to justice. Yeah. Every every single gain, no matter how close to parity or equity, it's still this huge gulf. And yeah. so it's really difficult. Uh, and part of your work, part of my work is to 
empower people with knowledge, with humor, with different voices to resist this in whatever way possible. Because those few people who are going to get fired um, won't get fired if more people stand up, if more people speak out and build connections. Yeah. I'm trying to find a question here. Um, okay. But what are, you, what are your thoughts on uh, how radical the anti-woke uh, kind of thing is getting or should get? Uh, where are we headed in this space? Well, I didn't, I didn't see that tweet of his, but um, it's funny. I, I, I agree with it uh, in part. I think if they're – look, I don't care if a person has woke beliefs. Um, if I, I used to have a company. Uh, if I if I were to have a company again uh, that had a lot of employees, I wouldn't care what their personal beliefs are. But if they were using those beliefs to destroy my organization from the inside, if they were putting those beliefs as a priority, as more important than whatever the mission of our company is, yeah. and I viewed them as being saboteurs because of the ideology, then, yeah, I would say get rid of those people. And, it, and it's not... It, it, their beliefs could be any, it doesn't have to be social justice, but if they're putting any kind of ideology ahead of um, mm. what the goal of your company is or your organization is, then I would give them the boot. Um, if it's somebody who's, who is, um, you know, who, who believe, believes in social justice tenets and then there's free time goes to BLM marches and does all the stuff online and posts their opinions online. And I don't care. But if they're bringing it into the workplace and they're trying to divert company resources and time by having these um, indoctrination, diet, you know, diversity, inclusion, equity trainings, and I view that as detracting. I would view that as detracting from whatever the goal of the the company is. Like when I look at like Spotify, for example, and there's all those employees who've been complaining and moaning about having Joe Rogan on Spotify and they want to censor him or they want to kick him off the platform and they're having company yeah. meetings and they're doing, you know, the people who are organizing that pushback against Joe Rogan, if I were at Spotify, I would identify who those ringleaders are and who is taking us off course. And I would, might get rid of those people, not everyone. Okay. Yeah. Does that make sense? Well, that what what you bring up with Rogan has happened with J.K. Rowling. There's rumors that her publisher is going to delist her book. It's happened with Jordan Peterson, and that could have been overinflated because it's Jordan Peterson. But some employees were complaining about Jordan Peterson. There is a pattern of behavior of cancellation in this yeah. thing. There's uh, instance after instance after instance. It's almost like they all have the same playbook of canceling somebody for the wrong opinion or even. Oh, yeah. getting close to the wrong opinion. So I, I don't know how we are supposed to counter that cancellation without ourselves becoming cancelers. I, I just, I worry about yeah. the oh, pendulum over Oh, well, it's good you're worrying about that because some people don't. That's, that's, the, that's the thing is, um, one of the quotes that really stuck with me when I started leaving my belief system, and I didn't know what was happening to me. I just knew... I wasn't walking in lockstep with my tribe anymore. It was actually very scary for me. But after Trump won, trying to figure out why he won, but then also trying to figure out why I disagreed with so many people in my tribe now, um, you know, when if I was sharing articles about, about you know, um, 
PC culture, about the reasons why people had voted for Trump. There was a Jonathan Pye video I shared about PC culture, and I watched that video and I thought, Hmm. he's talking about social justice. I understood what he was talking about. And that was a big no-no. People in my tribe online, it was really like, no, Carrie, like he won because of sexism and racism. Maybe you need to examine your white privileges coming out now. You know, you're trying to find these other reasons. And it, and so that, that was, that was really um, weird for me. But one of the first quotes that really stuck with me when I was trying to figure out what was happening and what I really thought about my belief system and was my belief system right. And ju- I had always thought social justice was moral and like the good, this is what we should be doing. We should be pushing these beliefs because these beliefs are about equality and these beliefs are about ending racism and sexism. I I was a true believer. And I started questioning that during that time. And I went to a um, spiritual center in Austin and there was a, there was a speaker there. I guess, I guess he's a preacher. I'm not sure, but he, he talked about that Nietzsche quote, um, you know, be careful fighting monsters, lest you become the monsters you fight. And when you stare into the abyss, the abyss also stares into you. And that chilled me. It was chilling because it it helped me understand. I don't know. It helped me understand kind of how you can be um, a person with good intent and think that you're doing the right thing and become monstrous over time mm-hmm. because you lose perspective and you, you, you develop a blind spot. And so during the whole transition of like leaving social justice, which has been a long transition, long, um, hmm. I've kept that quote in the in my mind because I don't want to become a monster. I don't want to become monstrous again because well now I'm on on this side, right? And now I'm looking at wokeness and saying that's evil and the, that's monstrous and I'm going to fight it. Yeah. Well, yeah, then you're still a danger of becoming a monster yourself if you lose sight of that. And so the fact that you're even questioning that is great. The people who don't question it are the ones who scare me. And yes, there are people mm. who push back against wokeness who have who are monstrous. <laughs> <laughs> just because you just because you're speaking the, the words I agree with or mm-hmm. you're speaking against my old ideology doesn't mean that we are the same. And Yeah, there <laughs> there there's a certain personality type who um it reminds me somebody who is an alcoholic and then is no longer an alcoholic, uh, but then gets addicted to another ideology or gets a, becomes a fundamentalist Christian where everything has to go just becomes a hard line. It's right. they don't realize that the first and foremost problem is their fundamentalism, not whatever they're being fundamentalist yes. about. <laughs> yes. you <know? laughs> like you have an issue. <laughs> you can bring it over here too, you know? Yeah. And if you, and if you're, if you're, uh, if you're supporting cancel mobs and I don't think that I haven't read that tweet of James, but I don't think that's what he's saying, but that's just based on what, how you described it. But, but I do know some people who push back against wokeness who support, Online bullying campaigns, uh, cancel mobs, like cancel culture, trying to get businesses shut down. Um, I I don't agree with any of that. And if you do, then you don't even understand. You don't even understand what it is about. You're not principled. You don't understand what it is about those things when social justice people do it that makes it wrong. It's not just because their ideology is wrong. They're trying to redefine racism and sexism and they're pushing collectivism as a cure to collectivism. That's yeah. that's not it. That's not just it. It's also their behavior. Their behavior is wrong. And if you're modeling that behavior against them and you think it's okay because I have the right beliefs so the ends justify the means. You're doing the same thing they're doing. 
think they think the yeah. ends justify the means too. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I didn't know you're gonna get me so riled up so early. <laughs> well, and and I need to say this: I'm not denigrating James whatsoever. I was just oh, pushing yeah. back I, against him on that, and I think in part. This morning, he published another tweet that actually refines his position, and he says that there's three ways to fight uh, or to deal with wokeness. I'll, I'll just read this really briefly. I know that's yeah. kind of a bad form in a conversation, but he says, practically speaking, there's only three possible things you can do with the woke. Too strong, one weak. This is because it is a psychopathic takeover ideology. So the three, three ways of dealing with it is to play ball. He says that's a weak way to ignore it, which is a strong way, and then to resist it. And he goes on to say that to resist it, you have to be very uh, sure that you can afford to resist it. Because once you become a resistor, you're going to turn off the people who are playing ball and you're going to rile up the woke and they're going to come after you. If you right. ignore it, it's going to be difficult. You're going to have to just – by ignore, he says just go along with your work, just – put your values first and plow through it uh, or play ball. And he, he argues that playing ball is a losing position because they will take over your organization. They will, because of what, and it's not just the ideology we can go through and we can tie it to postmodernism and all these different uh, activist things. It's within that is a takeover ideology that demands adherence to its principles. And like you said earlier, that could be anything from any religion you choose or any ideology you choose. Yeah, I think James is right. Like th- those are what what he calls playing ball. I've called taking the knee, bending the mm. knee to it, and and acquiescing and doing what they demand of you. Whether it's make demand apologies, make um, make the demanded statements they want you to make, the oaths you know to speak mm. the words they want you to speak. Yeah. I think all of that is a form of of bending the knee and kissing the ring. And I agree with him. That is. A losing proposition, and we we saw this unfold. Um, I mean, I've seen it many times. I, I saw it when I was in it, but like like it used to happen on um, a lot of feminist blogs about 10, 10, 12 years ago. There used to be a lot of these mobs that would happen, where you know, because it's a, it's a resentful ideology. But they would go after this popular feminist blogger. She's not pure enough. This one's not pure enough. You know, and it was this sort of uh, backstabbing and trying to attack people that were more popular within the social justice movement. It was that sort of eating their own thing that would happen. These purity spirals, I've heard it called, and I've seen that happen many times in many different kinds of communities. But most recently we, we have done a lot of videos about the knitting and the knitting community where it happened. And what was interesting it's about so the knitting absurd. world, I know, <laughs> I know it's such a good example. Like, like evergreen, this weird college, like yes. it's a great little tiny community that shows how this ideology tears yes. apart the fabric of a community. It's good to look at these microcosms because then you can see it on a smaller scale, what might be harder to see on the macro, what, what, what it's, how it operates. But, but yes, just like evergreen in the knitting world, there was, um, we got to interview three, three different business owners who did not play ball as James says, and he did not bend the knee to the mob. And those business owners initially you're going to suffer. Like he said, you have to be prepared for the consequences if you're going to re- resist. Um, they initially suffered. They were mobbed. They were um, slandered, 
libeled. They were called awful names. Um, their characters were uh, attacked. A bunch and of they, online positions, uh, uh, yes, petitions, uh, petitions get popped up. Yeah. Yeah, they got canceled from um, knitting conventions. Yep. People who worked with them stopped working with them and issued statements against them, these purity yep. statements against them. Um, one of them, uh, not not one of the ones we interviewed, but one of the ones who resisted ended up in the hospital. He was on suicide watch for a while. Like they took It took a toll on these people and on their business and on their reputation. But in the long run, every single one of them I've talked to who, who resisted, who did not bend the knee, it's been a net positive for them because they found that, uh, for example, I'll, I'll just run through some of the things that all three of them had talked about. Uh, one of them hired a, a, a publicist to help deal with all the online fallout and the attacks. And the publicist gave great advice and said, you need to quantify who these people are who are bullying you and figure out how many people it is, because it seems overwhelming at first. It may seem like it's your whole um, customer base. But it turned out it was like 10 people mm-hmm. and they had multiple accounts and it's 10 people and it seems like a big thing. But when when they realized that, then then it, then they felt more comfortable saying, no, there's this whole silent majority there of, of our customer base there that is um, maybe not OK with what's happening to us. And they found that to be true. They got so much support when they didn't bend the knee. And um, and the other thing they found is that, I mean, it. In all of their cases, I think they uh, they found one of them, Maria Tuscan of Tuscanitz, she found a creative way to use the outrage and the mobbing and the pile on to create a new yarn line to kind of poke fun. Like you said, using humor, <laughs> she created a new uh, line of yarns that were all named things like, you know, uh, white fragility, uh, woke. Uh, toxic masculinity over to these kind of SJW buzzwords, which really bothered. They don't like when you make fun of them. No, Um, they don't. But I think, I think, and and the biggest thing is one of these, uh, one of the people we talked to, the business owners who didn't bend the knee, she said, you know, and she's right at the end of the day, you're not beholden to them. Once you make that, that decision to stand up and to resist, they don't own you anymore because and and if you do bow, and we saw with the ones who did bow, and there were some of the small business owners in the knitting world who bowed, and then we, if you look at what happened to them over the ensuing year, the mob came for them again and again and again because nothing they did was good. It could never be pure enough. And the, yeah. and you, then you've already shown them, like like uh, George Bridges at Evergreen, you've already shown them that you'll do whatever they say. You yeah. know, put your hands down, George. You know, yeah. you'll debase yourself. You'll bend down. You'll do whatever. And so they're going to keep coming for blood. Why wouldn't they? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, when you say that you're not beholden to them, when we get to an organization like Google or let's say the United States federal government, once this ideology is installed in these bigger corporations that do affect uh, beyond just uh, the uh, these independent owners and operators, these small communities, th- that's another game. And I can see people that's getting – uh, having a hard time keeping uh, their anti-wokeness in proportion to what they're fighting against when it gets to the level of assaulting. Well, that's different. Yeah, because you're right, Benjamin, because that's not a small business. Yeah. It's not your own business. You don't get to make that decision. And if you if you resist, it, it's knowing that you could lose that job. Yeah, or get fined or, by the government. Yeah. I mean, when when we go into like what's happening in Australia and Victoria, Australia, I interviewed a uh, somebody who's becoming a solicitor, which is a lawyer, um, 
Catherine Deves, and she talked about this gender bill or this anti-conversion bill where this government, this Victoria government, Victoria's state of Australia is giving itself incredible powers to go after people who don't go along with affirming this particular identity. And this particular identity is so ill-defined. They don't define what gender is. So they have all, they're setting themselves up to have these committees to go after people who disagree with them. And mm -hmm. when the government has that power, we're no longer talking about these uh, you know, small businesses or these small communities. Like this is a completely different playing field. And so in, in the transition from arguing against wokeness in a small you know, area to fighting it on this big arena – like I, I'm just I'm worried about keeping in, things in proportion and not becoming the monster because you have to start operating with yeah. these big uh, coalitions with people who are people that you don't agree with. You have to what what we see, especially in the gender debate, and this is another area which is bigger but but kind of still small. We see a lot of radical feminists aligning themselves with the conservative parties with the yeah. right, so called. And, and within that, within that, there's, it's, it's really easy to then go after these groups for being, you know, alt-right or in bed with these unsavory people. So the slander is still real rhetorical, yeah. but at the same time, at the same time that the, the, it, it it's a different ball game. It's just a different ball game. So it is a different, yeah. Uh, is there, I'm trying to think, is there a question in there? Because my brain's yeah, going in a few different directions. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> even, even going to that level, like I kind of lost to like oh being God. able to control that. But um, no, but it, it, it is different. And I don't know, you know, so far we've mostly on our channel talked to people who are small business owners and get to make decisions for themselves. We haven't really talked to people who, um, and I would like to interview people who, anonymously it would have to be <laughs> who are who have really great positions at large companies mm. or in the government and are being asked to do things that violate their their moral code or their their violate their conscience and i don't know because i think that would be a hard decision for people yeah 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 um sorry i i exploded the conversation out of the, uh, out of the realm of the management like um, yeah, we're always recording. Oh, good. Okay. Is that I was okay? Like, I was like, we should be recording this. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had a train. That's I'll okay. come back. The, one of my, one of my, uh, persistent advice that I give encountering this is to keep things human sized. Once we start to fight against things that are inhumanly big, we tend to become inhuman ourselves. And one of my critiques of social justice or, or kind of getting into why they behave so poorly at Evergreen is that they lost their center of mass. Their center of responsibility is no longer stationed in the individual. So they don't have to care about being responsible for their behavior because they're, they're in this huge battle, this, this untimely historical clash of white against black. These, they, their egos inflate beyond what they can possibly control. And so what I consistently say is that what we need to do is keep your problems human. Don't uh, 
like when Charlottesville happened and that violent event happened, everybody's uh, own center of gravity shifted into that one particular moment, that one particular ghastly act because of social media collapsing time and space. It inflates our sense of proportion. It inflates our fear. It inflates our uh, every everything that that is within our our power gets lost because we become connected to something that's way too big. So I think patiently going through and detailing smaller events is the proper way to do it. But then when we get to, when we get to that bigger event, when we get to, and I think here's the, here's the thread. When Trump got elected, that showed people uh, or gave people uh, an ability to, fight on a larger plane. And now that Biden and Harris are coming in and they are, I don't know how woke they are. I think they're just pandering to it. I don't, I think that they're going to give very cheap uh, gains to the woke uh, while advancing this really terrible other thing (laughs) while everybody claps along because it's no longer Trump. Um, But still we have to keep ourselves proportionate uh, in our anti-wokeness. So question is, how do we do that? What, what is your, in, in your channel, uh, Unsafe Space, how are you guys proceeding in this battle? Um, or, or what are the proper well, ways to go about this? Uh, well, you're saying keep it human. And so the two things there, I would say, are having and keeping your sense of humor. And because Why? no one like, Why humor? because humor. What is it about humor that's so useful? Humor is disarming. I think it keeps you uh, from from spiraling into rage and anger and your own kind of resentment about woke ideology becoming so prevalent. And if you and it keeps you laughing, if you can laugh at yourself, then it helps you retain some amount of humility. Hmm. And um, because the options, a lot of times when you when you look at stuff in the news where you know, I mean, just yesterday we did a show and we were talking about the whole, um, the amen, a woman thing and, yeah. also, and the, and the bill in Congress to remove at the same time, they're yeah. putting a bill in to get rid of, uh, words like mother, husband and father, wife, yeah. mother, father. Yeah. And, and if you're just, <laughs> they totally want to have it both ways. They in every it both ways. It's just so, it makes no sense. Yeah. Get out of it. Anyway. Um, I think that you're, I think you become in danger of just being outraged all the time at the wokeness, which is what they do. They live again at the beginning of this conversation. We're talking about not becoming the monster you fight and you can't model the same behavior they have. You can't model that behavior and say, but I'm doing it for the right reasons. And I think the I think uh, similarly, you can't um, get to a place where the only thing that's motivating you is the outrage and the anger at it. And where you're waking up every day looking to see what you're outraged at now, that's what that's their behavior. How mm. how are you different? How are you illustrating and demonstrating a different way of being in the world if your way of being is the same? You're just yeah. outraged about them and they're outraged about you, but you're you're in the same sort of cycle of 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 negative emotion. Mm-hmm. I think you have to temper that with a couple things. One being humor find the humor in it and and laugh at it. And also because finding the humor in things like making fun of the amen, a woman thing, instead of getting angry about it, finding the humor in it, because it is funny. um, 
I think that culturally, if if large numbers of people start doing that, then you will see a shift culturally where uh, it you know, there, there's always trends in what's cool, what's not cool. Right now, wokeness is cool. Uh, yeah. It's officially, you know, mainstream cool. But if if it becomes, if the sense of humor and the people who are pushing back against wokeness with comedy sketches like Ryan Long or with memes or with just, just laughing at that stuff instead of being outraged about it, if that becomes um, um, dominant enough or becomes you know, mainstream enough, then the culture will shift. People will start to find wokeness as, you know, yeah. being uncool, which it is. It's deeply uncool. Yeah. It will uh, be the bell bottoms in, in 10 years. It will be so disgusting. <laughs> People will just ridicule it. Uh, you know, like eighties, big hair, nineties, big hair, bell bottoms, you know, there's yeah. going to be a big, not just a backlash politically, but like a, a hangover. Yes. I'm pretty I had certain. Cultural hangover. Yeah. Before. Like, I can't yeah. believe that was ever a thing, you know, and, and, <laughs> Uh, people will deny having been a part of it or like they'll pretend like they were always one of the critics. But uh, yeah, I think humor is important for that reason. And also because like, okay, so one time I, I was talking to this guy. um, It seemed that we had a lot in common, but what we really had in common was that we both opposed social justice ideology. Okay. And um, that's just one part of what I, I view as what I'm doing right now or what I'm working on right now or what my attention is consumed by right now is, is talking about my old belief system, but that's just one part that, and, and if that's all you have, which I felt like this person, that's all there was, was just being waking up every day and being opposed to wokeness. If that's all you have, um, what are you living for? And again, that makes you sort of like them. They they wake up every day and they they there's a list of things they think they're living against, yeah. right? Yeah. I'm here to work against this, against this, against this. And if all you're doing is is just waking up every day being against wokeness, then but what are you offering people? You have to have something to live for for yourself. And if you're trying to get people to to agree with you and say, yeah, I look at the flaws in this belief system. It's bad. Mm-hmm. This is why I'm against it. You should be against it too here's this other way of living and here are these other, here are things to live for. And that could be different for different people. You don't have to have the same things as me, but if you don't have that thing, I, I, how do you, I don't think that's sustaining over time to live in such a way that you're just living against things instead mm-hmm. of for things. And so, um, I don't know if that makes sense. And no, it, it does. Of, it absolutely does. Kind of relates to the humor part. So, so in that vein, then I would say the other the other thing is to keep yourself human, to keep yourself from coming monstrous. Sense of humor, but also creating things and working on things that you're for, and that could be anything from um, getting into gardening or knitting or creating a family and focusing on real life stuff and. Mm. Um, you know, coming up with comedy videos or just, you know, music or whatever it is that you want to create, but putting something out there and having something that fuels you that's positive and something that you believe in that's positive and not just this sort of, well, here's what I know I'm against, right? Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There is an aspect of woke critique that I'm sure you're thoroughly aware of, of uh, comparing it to a religion. It's very easy to do. I I've been doing I, my first video, my very first video, I, I did that, um, or at least in part from the beginning, because that's what I saw. 
positioned within Evergreen, where they were actually treating it like a religion. Uh, At the same time, there is a, you know, within the what's loosely called the IDW, which is kind of done, but like this post IDW conversation going on, there's a lot of talk about spirituality. Jonathan Peugeot, Paul Vanderclay, and John Verveke are probably the three people who are advancing that discussion. In a, in, oh, and Rebel Wisdom, too. Uh, David Fuller at Re- Rebel Wisdom. They're like, okay, well, what do we talk about next, right? Um, so I just kind of want to open that up. I think there's humor. There's also spirituality and our fraught uh, language around spirituality and the possibility of waking up new ways of talking about that. It seems like you are spirituality is a part of your positive uh, light or the positive for me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm a pretty a recent Christian and I, I keep thinking, how long am I going to say, think of myself as recent? It's been <laughs> a couple years? of years. It's okay, been so, like okay. three, three or four yeah, years now, yeah. three. Yeah. So you're, um, you're a, I don't know. Is there like a, you're a novice now? <laughs> like you're no longer a noob, you're a novice, right? I think I'll always feel like a beginner. <laughs> so I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I was just, I was just considering that the other day, like, Oh, I was thinking of myself as a new Christian. Um, but, but you know, what's funny is, is when I've talked about that, I wasn't originally going to talk about that on unsafe space really. Uh, Carter, my co-host, sort of outed me as a Christian in an episode. I was like, "Well, are you are you outing me now?" <laughs> Not that I was trying to keep it a secret. I just, I didn't think. I don't know. I didn't feel comfortable talking about those beliefs at, at the beginning um, because they were so new and and still evolving. And um, and we do talk about it a little bit now. It's gotten to be a running joke where because he's an atheist and yeah. um, we have people watch our show, obviously atheists and Christian and different beliefs and sort of say like, OK, for the atheists, we need to have some kind of organ music interlude whenever I do my Christian Jesus stuff. <laughs> like, So you can leave because some of them are like, ah, enough. <laughs> but um, in talking about it, one thing that I found is that uh, so recently I did an interview on trigonometry. And which was great. I love talking to those guys. And they're I think really it, good hosts. Yeah. Yeah. And it came up briefly, I think, at some point, because I was trying to explain just what happened to me. I can only talk about my story and then extrapolate and say what I think about social justice in general. But here's what happened to me. Right. And when I left social justice, it coincided with this search for meaning, it coincided with a couple of personal things. Um, and, and I don't think that you necessarily have to, if someone's in what I call the social justice cult, I don't think you necessarily have to, you don't have to take the path I took or come to the conclusions I took. But, um, in my opinion, yes, I was using social justice. I was using my ideology to fill what was a God sized hole. Mm. And when some people hear that, they get really uh, close-minded and judgmental. Immediately, they're like, oh, so you left one cult and went to another cult, you know? And it's like, actually, no, you're making a lot of assumptions and judgments about Christianity and about my beliefs just based on a word, based on the word. You have no idea. Mm. Um, And if you were to look at my beliefs and— and um, stack them up on, you know, if you go down the cult characteristics checklist, for example, which I've done with social justice and it checks off a lot of them, a lot of them. You could also probably do that with atheist communities too. Not all of them, but some. 
I mean, it's just the way that human beings come together and there is a destructive cult uh, type of uh, system that comes up and, and can take over any, any group. I agree. Any group with shared beliefs. Yeah. And there are definitely culty Christians for sure. Um, I don't go to a church like that and I don't, I don't participate in um, a belief system that, you know, I don't cut off contact with, like I did in social justice, by the way, I don't cut off contact with people who don't agree with me. I don't isolate myself in an echo chamber just with people who believe the same thing I do. Um, I don't, uh, I don't discourage people from asking questions or asking questions about my belief system. And I don't keep myself from doing it. I have a ton of questions about my belief system. And I also don't keep it to just one denomination. Like, I have a Catholic friend I'll go to and ask, well, what do you, what do Catholics think about this? Or, um, you know, which is not always the same as, as people who are not as Protestants. And, um, it's very different. It's not culty. And I, I think sometimes people are, they're so preconditioned to, um, being afraid of, or being, um, mistrusting of. We're just on the, the offense when it comes to that. They're on the offense and they're automatically looking at any belief system, any group of people who say we are coming together because we believe in this shared thing. They look at that in a in a distrustful way and they're not all cults. And and what I would say to those people is um, you believe in something, too. Like everybody has a system of belief about the way the world works and the way in which they operate in the world. Even if you're an atheist, you have a system of belief about the best way to look at the world and how to be in it. And if you don't know what your system of belief is, like look at your, start to observe your behavior. Cause that'll tell you a little bit about what you believe in terms of the way the world works and the best way to be in it. And, um, I know that I need a system of belief. I think Mm -hmm. everyone does. And Mm -hmm. I didn't used to, I, I wasn't so, I wasn't so cognizant about that. I wasn't, I wasn't a, an observer of my, of myself. I didn't observe myself to figure out what I believed about stuff in the past, you know? And, um, I think a lot of people do that. They just kind of float through life without really being, um, the mm-hmm. observer, you know, this yeah. kind of new age, um, writer, I don't know if he, I don't know if he would be called new age, but Eckhart Tolle, um, he wrote the power think, of now. Okay. And, and some of the ideas in that book, well, they were very helpful to me, actually, when I was leaving social justice. Um, but there have been some other people, I guess it's like the mindfulness movement, maybe is what you would call it. And there have okay. been some other writers who've echoed those ideas. There's a book called The Untethered Soul, which I read that one. And I thought that's basically like Eckhart Tolle, but but um, Eckhart Tolle for dummies, maybe. He, he like boils it down a little <laughs> bit more succinctly. <laughs> And in that book, he talks about being the observer, how in your head, sometimes you have uh, the 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 voice, the negative voice, for example, that tells you things about yourself that are not true or, you know, and some people have this voice louder than others. But that that part of you that's like self-critical and always talking and sort of, you know, you shouldn't have done this or you shouldn't have done that or blah, blah. blah. And, and if you are a person who deals with that, with negative thoughts about yourself or, you know, the book sort of talks about um, stepping back and observing that voice as if it was a roommate. It's like, he's like, you know, hmm. if that was your roommate, you would kick them out of your house because they're so negative and they're always saying crap about you. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. And so yeah. Um, I think Tolly talked about that a little bit too, about being the observer. And I think 
in general, just being the observer of all the stuff that goes on in our head of mm-hmm. stepping back and be and observing like, why was I thinking that? Or why was I, you, you're, you're, uh, you become the listener and the observer instead of the, instead of the incessant voice. Yeah, and that, it, helps, that helps you, yeah. I don't know, that helps you analyze yourself better. Which is different than uh, just being critical of yourself all the time. Uh, just ragging on your behavior all the time. Like, like actually trying to be some sort of neutral, just aware, just aware. And actually when you, I think that the key component of spirituality or any sort of thing that builds itself as spirituality, if it broadens your uh, awareness of starting with yourself and not just your thoughts, but all the things that animate you, your desires, your hungers, your reactions. And once you start to actually kind of clean your room in that way, then you can start to actually clearly start to perceive other people's behavior and kind of, you know, judge where it's coming from in them where, and, and then even ideologies like, well, what is this maximizing in people? How are they, you know, what, what's the kind of the fruit of these different belief systems? Are they roaming through the streets and destroying everything in their quest for a better world? Like, is that, is that truth? You know, is that justice? Uh, you're using these big terms. And that's another way, I think, of making things human to like really see how the human beings are being, uh, you know, maximized in that environment. Yeah. Well, that you made me think of that verse: "By your fruits you shall know them." Yes. Yes. Look at people's behaviors. And... I think, in in a way, I think the positive process of anti wokeness is to kind of just basically be psychologists in a way of just documenters of human behavior. I think that mm-hmm. humor is a good way. I, I think that I want to continue with the spirituality uh, question uh, okay. discussion, yeah. but also um, just kind of being, bringing an awareness to the discussion of human behavior, uh, interpreting language, uh, just kind of being anthropologists in, in a way of this movement. I think that product kind of adds to a uh, more mature discussion rather than being embattled in the culture war. I think I'm just trying to find trap doors to other areas of conversation because the anti-woke thing is hot right now, but eventually yeah. we're all going to have to grow up. As oh, this yeah. Becomes. Yeah. Well, and, and I think even if wokeness um, died a quick death, this year, which it's not going to do, no. <laughs> <laughs> fortunately. But even if it did, uh, the spiritual question is interesting to me because it's still that still remains. How do you choose to live in the world? There will still be other, um, fa- I would say, false, but uh, other mm-hmm. uh, negative belief systems that you could fall into, other cults you could fall into, um, and. And I think I think for me, like being against wokeness is is going back to what we talked about earlier. It's about behavior. It's about behavior. It's not just that I think the ideas are bad. Mm-hmm. It's the ways in which those ideas um, justify bad behavior. And then you're behaving and living in the world uh, um, in a really negative or evil way. And. Um, I know, I know people, Jordan Peterson has helped a lot of people. I'm one of those people he helped. And I found his, um, I found him right when I was kind of coming out of my belief system at the very beginning of the path, maybe, um, because I, I had seen, there were a few rabbit holes I'd gone down that just kind of made me start to question 
some of the behaviors of people who are presumably on my side. And that was like the first crack in, in what I, what I had believed in, in my, in my entire system of belief. But then I found a video and I was trying to figure that out. And then I found a video, someone posted a video of him calling him a transphobe and I went and checked it out. And I, I thought, you know, I was going to agree with my friend that he was transphobic and I didn't. And I saw him making a good case against compelled language. And I became, he was, he was also helping me. He, to articulate some of the confusing ideas that were in my head now, or the, the confusion I had about why my beliefs were changing and things that I was witnessing. You know, if you're in a cult and you start to question things, you everything is set up in the cult to keep you from questioning, first of all. And if you start to question, you, you become a heretic, you become an outsider that, you know, there's a lot of scorn and shame heaped on you. And so, um, even just having questions about my belief system, it was very traumatic in a way of being like, hmm. you know, what's going on with me? And it's something, is it me? Is it me? Or am I really seeing this? Is this really happening? Are people really, um, piling on and, and, uh, celebrating, um, b- bad behavior and celebrating the death of cops, like in Dallas at the BLM, hmm. um, rally when those cops were shot there, I saw people sort of, tacitly approving of that and and so and so anyway he helped me makes me think of like the death of god just in a very uh materialist very uh diminutive form like it's the death of of authority that they're celebrating the death of god the death of the patriarchy the death of order Uh, yeah yeah definitely and just taking i don't know that's that's monstrous that's when you get to a place where you've lost sight you've lost sight of everything important because you're so focused on your supposedly just and righteous and good end goal that the means it's fine with you. And you've become a monster because you're celebrating murder because you, because of what, because you've got some beautiful um, utopia that you're working towards. I just, anyway, he helped me understand that. But one of the things to get back to your spirituality thing, one of the things I watched of his that really also stuck with me was um, an old, lecture he had done called tragedy versus evil. And in it, he was talking about, he gave this allegory about um, the Cain and Abel story from the Bible and about how the Cain and Abel story, if you look at it, it's almost a story that offers us two different ways of being in the world, two different ways of living. And Cain, for example, in that story, you could look at it as this is a way of being in the world where you don't make the necessary, necessary sacrifices to get what you want. His sacrifices were not pleasing to God, um, where you are resentful and you blame others and you're, um, arrogant and entitled and expect things, expect God and the world to pour favor on you, you know, and that, that way of living in that story, what does it show us? That way of living leads ultimately to murderous rage. Whereas the able way of living, he's like, you could think of this, you know, the way that Abel lived is, is making the necessary sacrifices, um, living in a way that's humble and gracious. And, uh, you know, that though these, these things are antidote, this thing is an antidote, the Abel way of living is an antidote to the Cain way of living. And I had never heard that Bible, Bible story talked about in such a way. And it really, it stuck with me. And I started thinking about it all the time. And I started thinking about it, in relationship, not just to big picture about my belief system, social justice, which I think is a very Cain kind of belief system 
It's about resentment and entitlement. Yes. I'm owed this. All these other people have taken what I am owed. Why do they get all of this? You know, and or or just to open it up to the allies, uh, a surrogate uh, offendedness for why are these people not getting yes. what I have, kind of thing. But it's still yeah. resentment. But it's kind of shifted a little bit. Yeah, but you're right. It's still resentment. And I so on the big picture, I was thinking about it the ideology that way, but on a personal level, like you're talking about, even if wokeness dies a quick death tomorrow, the Cain and Abel story, that allegory, that, that lesson that I learned from him about the way to be in the world, um, sticks with you because it wokeness can be gone and you're still faced with that choice in everything you do. And it helped me to sort of every choice that you have throughout the day to kind of keep myself in check and, and it helped me to identify when I was behaving like Cain and when I was behaving in a arrogant or entitled way and, uh, versus trying to cultivate the opposite of those things, trying to cultivate gratitude and humility. And, um, yeah, if you haven't, if people are watching and they haven't seen, his um, biblical lectures. He did a series of biblical lectures also, and he he um, he brought up this this Cain and Abel allegory again in one of those. Um, but the original video I watched was called Tragedy versus Evil, and it was it was really impactful. One of the things that I shy away from, and I hear that in what you're talking about, or uh, kind of caveating what you're going to talk about. Like, we kind of have to caveat when we're going to have a spiritual discussion. I'm going to talk about my religion now. (laughs) And I try not to do that on my channel because I know that that's going to do two things. One, incite people's uh, atheism, or two, incite their belief. And there's kooks, uh, people who just can't let go and just listen in good faith and just like, this is just a story. I'm just going to talk about this thing. This is my experience. I'm not pushing anything on you. Uh, You have a lot of believers who have their whole realm of belief. And then you have a lot of anti-believers who have their whole realm of argument. And I have no interest in dealing with either of those camps. Me either. I just don't. I just don't. (laughs) Um, But at the same time, I really, really, really want to provide a space on my channel, in my product, in my presence online for discussions of belief, for discussions of faith, and for discussions of experience and the cultivating of awareness. And so I'm trying to very slowly kind of build an understanding of what I'm talking about when I talk about belief. And I have a fraught relationship with belief itself because I see that it locks people into these rigid ways of thinking where they always can only process any given phenomena within their kind of formula of, uh, you know, does this... Uh, one one very cheap uh, version of that would be to uh, basically when you're interacting with a certain type of Christian that just keeps on repeating that you're... Uh, that Christ died for our sins and that you have to believe and be saved. And and then you start to prod, well, what that's coded language. I don't know what you mean by sin. I don't know what you mean by Christ. I don't know what you mean by salvation. Can you break that down to me? Can you bring it into something that is actually apparent in my world and flexible and creative. And um, I I had a dream just last week where I was uh, arguing with my father. I was having a very uh, difficult time. I was really angry at him. And it wasn't my actual father. It was uh, kind of this representation of my father. He's a pastor. And I ended up getting a Bible and I was reading a Bible and I was like kind of fighting with the Bible. I didn't want to deal with the Bible. I was angry at it. And I opened up to the Psalms. And I'm like, oh, this is something that I can participate in 
because I can make my own. I, I just, I don't want to worship God unless I can be creative. I don't want this book on top of me. I want a blank book in my hands. Uh, and right. and um, that, that, that's just a kind of a little aside. But what I was thinking about trying to define belief as a stepladder towards being aware of yourself, being able to judge yourself. You have a belief system that allows you to examine your own behavior and say, am I cable, Cain and Abel? Like, like you're aware that these tools aren't uh, themselves heaven, aren't themselves your path to God. They are, first and foremost, a step towards being a better person. Mm-hmm. And, and I think one of the uh, kind of the groundbreaking uh, sets of ideas that Jordan has given to the world. And he isn't the first person to do that. He's the first person to up, upload those ideas into our present moment. And so yeah. I, I want to give him total ample uh, you know, applause and credit, but he's not like the only person that's been right. doing that. Um, but what's he, well, he, what he's done is he's adapted belief to something that's usable for people who are aware of psychology, who are, you know, modern people. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, I've I've heard the criticism of him sometimes that you know, well, he's it's not like he's saying anything new, and 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 I would reply in the way you just did that he's up uploaded this into the current culture where we're at now, and also um, common sense has become very uncommon. So <laughs> I think it always so, has been. I think common sense was always an ironic term. <laughs> yeah. So if you're hearing something and you're saying, I've heard that somewhere before, um, maybe it's because it's a very wise and ancient bit of information yeah. that yeah. you should pay attention to. And maybe you should be grateful that you're hearing it from this person in this way and it's reaching this many people in this way instead of just saying, well, everybody said that. That's kind of the thing about the Bible that I found. So that I think there's a there's some humor in this is when I did start um, turning to God, which I never would have thought. You're even a little I, embarrassed by that phrase, maybe? Um, I was at no. the beginning. Okay. I'm not you were, anymore. Yeah, yeah. Now yeah. I've just okay. embraced the fact that some people are going to hear me and they're going to be like, oh, she's a weirdo, cheesy Christian now. Okay, <laughs> fine, whatever. Jesus freak. You can call me whatever. Um, <laughs> but my old self would. My old self would call me a Jesus freak. But um, <laughs> when, I, when I did first start turning to God and I started reading some of the Bible and I started looking at exactly what Jesus was teaching. And this sounds so silly, but I realized, oh my gosh, how stubborn I was and how arrogant and how how much I insisted on having to learn these very basic, simple truths about the best way to live in the world. I insisted on learning those the hard way, as if mm. I'm somehow unique and I'm going to go out and discover this better way of living when there's this book of wisdom about the best way to live. And I'm like, well, I'm going to tr- see for myself. And then I come to it and it's like, oh, look, Jesus said, don't lie or covet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, all these things that you're like, oh, yeah, maybe I should, you know, it's kind of a neat book of, uh, it's not just a list of arbitrary things that you need to do. These are rules meant to prevent you from having freedom. No, yes. the way I look at it now is like, no, these are guidelines to to allow you to have more freedom in your life because it's telling you these are these are things you might want to stay away from. And this is tried and true and tested throughout all of humanity that these are some common wise things that you should follow, you know? And, and I think, um, yeah, Jordan Peterson has done a great job of 
of taking some of those ideas and taking some bits of ancient wisdom and updating it and making it accessible to people, whether they're believers or not, whether they're Christian or not. And and I know some people have a issue, another criticism I hear of him from Christians, actually, is they don't like that he will say, um, when they ask, are you Christian? You know, he'll say, well, I live as if I, I live as if I believe God exists. And um, my answer to that is, why does that bother you? Like, why does it bother you what his beliefs are? And, and, and I think people get too caught up in being, I mean, like I said, you can get caught up in fundamentalism, as you said, in Christianity as well. And uh, you can become the kind of person who's just out um, evangelizing all the time. I kind of believe, like, I don't understand, maybe, maybe my beliefs, I still am a new Christian, maybe my beliefs on this will change, but I don't feel a need to go out and tell people, um, you should believe this mm-hmm. and that, you know, that Jesus died for your sins and that, and I know there are Christians who do that. And I know there are missionaries who do this and that that's what they do is they go out and they, they spread the story of Jesus. I kind of feel like, like with everything, you shall know them by their fruits. If somebody looks at me and they're like, wow, Carrie seems to have gotten her crap together and she seems pretty joyful and peaceful now. And uh, I've noticed a difference in her, what's going on with her, and they want to know or they want to ask me about what I believe, great. I'm happy to tell you if it helps you, but I don't – I'm not going to my atheist friends being like, get on the heaven boat with me, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not like, Carter, you're going to burn in hell. Get on the heaven boat, you know? Like that doesn't even work anyway. No, <laughs> <Even> if- <laughs> no. Not anymore. Yeah. That opens up um, the next level of this conversation. There's a secret within the secret. I think it's absolutely wise. It's best practices for any sort of uh, proponent of any ideology to uh, put it in their actions and allow people to judge them by their actions. And if they say, there's something about you, there's something I, I feel good when you when you speak or I, I watch your life and, and I see those fruits in different ways. It seems, and maybe I'm wrong, but it seems like there's more than just belief in your belief. It seems like there's something alive inside of there, uh, something positive beyond a better way of thinking about the world. Are you willing, are you ready to talk about, is God something more than a belief? Is yes. That, for me, yes. Yeah. What, what, I do, I, are you able to? I do believe in. Um, I do believe in God, and and I, I believe that. Okay, this is. I'm smiling because I haven't really talked about this before, and I know I'm gonna mess it up, and it's not gonna be. I haven't really articulated any of this, so just bear with me. <laughs> um, when I first started thinking about God, I was thinking about. Um, I had a, I, I became consumed with a very basic question a few years ago in the middle of this whole transition and everything and all this personal stuff in my life. And I was I was like, do 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 I believe that we have souls or not? I, and I, I wanted to know what my friends thought. I started texting people at random, you know, do you think we have a soul? My friends like it's 7 a.m. What do you do? <laughs> like, but, <laughs> like I just I it became really important to me for some reason. And. I, I couldn't believe, and I don't believe, we are just physical bodies with a computer brain 
I just don't believe that. I believe, so I think my beliefs, my path back to God started there because the more I thought about it, the more I thought about, no, there's an essence to being that I can't define. I don't have the words or understanding for, but I think there's something, um, whether you want to call it consciousness or I, I think there's, I think we have a soul. I'll just call it a soul. And I also think that there are things in the universe and in the state of being that I can't explain and that I'm not, I don't even have the capacity to understand. Um, and I think science is always progressing and helping us understand more. But, you know, there's that saying about how spirituality begins where science ends. And maybe science is going to keep progressing and, you know, the, the place at which spirituality begins gets pushed further out. But but hmm. um, there are things I don't have the ability to understand. And um, I do believe that I believe but, in but a creator. Just and, to qualify, things yeah. you don't understand, you're not talking about calculus or rocket science. You're, you're no. not talking about something that's no me- mechanical. Think- no, I think there are things that we're not capable of understanding. I think that we are, I think humans are all connected in a soul way or a spiritual way, or that we could be connected in, in a soul way. And I believe when we die, we go back to the source. Like that's kind of, and, and okay. I, I believe that's God. And I believe that the best, the best way of, um, let me see, this is probably going to piss off some Christians because it's not exactly, uh, yeah. Anyway, I, I believe that God explains things to us in a way that we can understand. I think the Bible is, is an attempt to help us, whether you view it as, as actual literal things that happened or as allegories. Um, and I do view most of the stories as actual things that happened as best told and repeated by humans, right? Um, but I think they're also allegories. I think God uses, he explains things to us in a way that we have the capacity to understand. We are not God. And so, um, for example, I heard this sermon. My preacher is amazing. If anyone's interested in hearing someone who's actually intelligent talk about Christianity instead of me, <laughs> you can check him <laughs> out. His, his name is Bradley Helgerson, and uh, we did an interview with him on Unsafe Space. He's really smart. But he did this. He did he did a sermon where he was talking about how there's a, a criticism of the Bible that it's not scientifically accurate and up to date with what we know about science, right? And so. He said, for example, people will criticize it for like one of the one of the Bible verses is is talking about faith as small as a mustard seed. Mm-hmm. And and they'll say, well, that's not the mustard seed is actually we've we now know that a mustard seed is not the smallest seed. It's actually an orchid seed. And why didn't God have it say, you know, faith as small as an orchid seed? And he's, he said, the Bible was written historically, contextually to people who did not know what an orchid was. God's mm. not going to spend the whole Bible going, you know, faith as small as an orchid seed. What's an orchid? Well, an orchid is a flower that you, you know, like, it's not, like the, what a waste of time. Mm, mm-hmm, <laughs> like you mm-hmm. talk to people in the language they can understand. And uh, so when you're looking at the Bible, for example, you're looking at it and trying to understand it pump from the, in, in one way, from the point of view of the people it was written for at the time. Um, but in another way, you can look at you can look at it now and see that there's truth in there and there's wisdom in there that is, I think, universal and that and and so there's the literal meaning of things in the Bible, but then there's also the um, 
transcendent, I guess, meaning of certain things. What is What are these stories about and how do you apply them today? Because humans are still humans. We're still the same. We're still, you know, the lessons of the Bible don't lie is as relevant today in terms of a way of being in the world as it was back then. Um, you know, don't live your life in resentment is just as relevant today as it was back then. And um, I guess I'm getting a little off off subject, but the point, yeah, my point was, I think there are things that we are not capable of understanding. And the Bible is an attempt to help us understand these things. And something like mm-hmm. Psalms, for example, that you mentioned, um, my preacher was talking about how Psalms are, um, are songs and poems, right? And, and just imagine the meaning that is lost in the translation you, you can still get the literal meaning of those psalms, but there's an added meaning when you hear it and can understand it in the original language as well. You know, think of that, poetry. Yes. You bring up exactly the where I was going to try to push it a little bit further, because it seems to me your energy is giving off more than just something you believe. You're, you're, when you talk about God, when you talk about the soul, when you talk about these things that we can't understand. You're talking about something that's living. You're talking about something that that, that animates, that, that isn't just meaning. Like a song isn't something that is meaningful. It's not just something that you can break down and analyze. You, you can't... Meaning is everything that you can grasp and break down and, and translate and participate in the mental activity of, of gaining wisdom, of restoring wisdom. There's something precognitive, there's something before the mind, beyond the mind that we're pointing to, that I'm pointing to mm-hmm. when I talk about God, when I talk about the soul. I'm, I'm talking about something that, that's underneath the surface, and it, it's it's before everything that's before and after everything that's after, like the source. It's, yes. it's inside everything that's inside and outside everything that's outside. It, it, it It's interpenetrating, and, and the concept of the Holy Spirit is kind of like this hint. It's like this isn't we're not just talking about something we're we're pointing towards something that that animates it and i just i i feel that in when you talk about these things like when when there's something that awakened in you when you started to ask about the soul it seems mm-hmm. like is that true and and are you yes. aware that are you able to talk about that or yes uh i don't know if i can put it in words very well but yes i do believe there's something beyond um Beyond what I'm able to put into words, I okay. For 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 example, when you're talking about meaning, you also made me think of in uh, in Maps of Meaning, Jordan Peterson's book. He talks about there's a part where he's talking about meaning about, and he gives an illustration of, uh, for example, a child who breaks a figurine, maybe a ballerina figurine. I can't remember what it was. Learns very quickly that that's not just a figurine. It has another kind of meaning if if the mother's very upset because it was an heirloom or it had sentimental meaning or value mm. you learn about different what is that thing well it's just a doodad but it's also this other meaningful thing has a lot of meaning for the mother because of the history and sentiment and all that and so um i just want to mm. put that in because you made me think about how things have like the different Stacks, kinds of yeah. Yeah. right um but uh but yeah i do believe that uh God is, 
here's my experience with God. And this is going to really, yes, those who think I'm the kooky Jesus person. Okay, fine. You're going to have... You're pissing off anti-Christians and Christians at the same yeah. time. You're, you're in the perfect position. You're going to have your clip, okay? Best Here it is. <laughs> um, I feel like God has spoken to me a couple times. And it wasn't, for me, it wasn't an audible voice. I think, I think God speaks to people in the voice they're most likely to hear. And for some people that might be... I don't know, music. For some people, it's an audible voice. I know a, a friend who's had visions. Um, uh, for me, I've never, it, it's more of a, a feeling of knowing and this really joyful feeling. And also God t- speaks to me with a real sense of humor, like very cutting. <laughs> <laughs> I think because he knows I'll pay attention. <laughs> but um, so... For example, one of the first times I felt like I had this experience, um, I was driving. It was nothing special. I was coming back from my friend, who's an opera singer, had just been um, doing this thing at, at, at a college here in Texas. And I had been at her performance, and I was driving home. And something just came over me, this emotional. And I had been talking to my aunt. I took a break from the performance and went outside and talked to my aunt who is a, um, I would say more like a fundamentalist kind of Christian in some ways, like Southern Baptist. And we had had a really, um, rocky relationship when I was in social justice world, because she's super judgmental. She would be the first to say that so I can say it. And (laughs) I was super judgmental as an SJW. And so we used to, when I was in college, we would just Mm. write these letters back and forth and I would be accusing her of her, you know, white supremacist, internal misogyny and being a part of everything that's wrong in the world. And she would be writing to me about how I'm going to burn in hell and wants to save my soul. And so we we're just these opposing forces of, of, you know, judging one another. Anyway, I just talked to her and it was just an amazing conversation because we were, I was starting to understand her better, hmm. even if I didn't agree with her on some things. And I was starting to understand things I didn't know about her before that, that her concern for me was very sincere all those years, even if she didn't, even if she didn't, um, present it in the best way or in a way that was likely to get me to listen. Um, and, and anyway, I was driving home and I just, I became overwhelmed with this presence. I just felt this joyful, emotional, like, it's hard to explain, but it, it not, not sad tears. It was like all of a sudden I understood all these things that had happened in my life and all the mistakes I had made and everything made sense for the second. It was like, I got a glimpse of something beyond my understanding of like, okay, everything, everything that has happened to you or everything you've done and every um, wrong path that you have taken has a purpose and a meaning. And you wouldn't be, here it, with this understanding had these things not happened and it just kind of felt like it's again it's hard to put into words because it is a feeling it's hard for me to describe it but it just felt like oh my gosh i'm getting a glimpse of understanding that every everything is makes sense everything is um okay and there's a balance to everything and um that that there's a, a balanced way of of trying to be in the world and um, I'm trying to incorporate all the all the bad and the good, mm. and um, it's, it, it was just, it was pretty brief. 
but uh, that feeling, and then it felt like, oh, the veil was closed again, and you know, I'm back to my <laughs> and I'm still yes. driving on the road, just like weeping, but in this joyful way. It's so weird, Benjamin. I've never talked about it. now. People are gonna be like, yeah, see, she's a super weirdo. But <laughs> but then, <laughs> go ahead. No, I'm, uh, I I, I want to thank you for allowing us or me to hear that uh, because I, I knew that that had happened to you. I, I just knew it. I, I know when somebody's animated by joy, when, when they're, when they're, when they're, they're using religion to maintain and, and foster a relationship to a state, not, not to a state of being right uh, in a human sense in this world, but uh, being correctly connected to that other, that, that higher uh, order of being. I, I just knew that because you're animated by joy and that's the behavior that that indicates to me that somebody's talking about that that thing that secret inside of the secret. Yeah, the secret inside that's of the like, secret. That's a good way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, and and it sounds uh, yeah crazy. I'm sure to some people and people who know what I'm talking about who know what the secret is inside of the secret. They'll they'll be like, oh, I totally get it, girl. You you're just having a weird <laughs> moment, and I've had it too. But. Um, <laughs> Yeah, the other few times, this will make people laugh, but I'll say it. I felt like that moment a couple of other times. And the weird thing about those three times, or was it two times? Two times, was that they happened at the grocery store. Huh. <laughs> like in the meat <laughs> section or the the, the dry goods section? I spent a lot of time at the grocery store. No, I just thought that's kind of like God's spoken to me and two times we're in the grocery store. But yeah, I, I had a moment where I was walking into the grocery store and my thoughts were just consumed. This was later. It was just consumed with all this stuff. You know, you get, you're thinking about the 10 things at once. I shouldn't have said this or mm. um, I should do this or I haven't done this thing yet. I need to do this. And why haven't you worked on this yet? You need to fix this thing in your life. And you're just sort of consumed with all these thoughts and anxiety or whatever. And I walked into, I was walking to the grocery store and there was this little girl who just turned and looked at me. She was sitting in the, um, in the cart and just turned and looked at me and smiled. And it wasn't, it what the, you know, kids have smiled at me before, but this time it was just so, it felt like God was just looking at me and, and smiling and saying, just calm down. Like, just be in the moment. Take a break. Look at this beautiful child smiling at you in the grocery store. <laughs> Go buy your groceries. Get out of your head. You know, and it it, it wasn't as um, emotional and everything as that first time, but I felt like that. I just felt this presence again. This just this is calming kind of like, you know, life is is is. I don't know. It's just it is. It can be very stressful and trying and. And this year, 2020, has shown that it's been a struggle for everyone, but it's also joyful. And you can't even you can't even define. I now I used to be one of those people who was like, well, if God is real, why is there evil in the world? And now I find that question to be so stupid because. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I used to ask it. <laughs> yeah. Why? Why is it stupid? Why? Why is it a, a incorrect frame? Because. Good is the absence of evil. How do you define what good is without evil? And and you can't have even in. Gosh, every everybody can relate to this. If if you were in a relationship, for example, that was a hundred percent euphoric, 
and you were in the limerence stage the whole time and it was just you're always in agreement and you never yes. fought and everything is wonderful and euphoric how do you even what does that even mean because you have nothing to compare it to then everything's yeah. the same you don't even know what euphoria is or you don't know what joy is without what knowing what despair is that's the only reason we know what joy is yeah. is so even so one positive thing you can do i think is is when you are having those down moments personally or in your career or in life in relationship whatever it is when you're going through a trying time or in the a trying year um those trying times those those negative things those struggles and those those things that we have that we go through um make the up so much more beautiful and worth trying to get to again you're gonna go like this up and down up and down up and down i think people make the mistake of especially in relationships they get into a relationship and they're like it's gonna be a continuous up yeah yeah (laughs) no no yeah for for me the question if uh if there is a god why is there evil in the world is is an incorrect framing um because it I, i need to break down the word evil there's suffering and that's not a bad thing There's no moral right or wrong about it. You have to suffer. And suffering is an opportunity to show your character, to improve it, or to degrade it. Evil is a human being's willful uh, generation of suffering and compounding of suffering and magnification of suffering. And and evil itself doesn't exist in the world. Evil is something that human beings do when they maladapt to suffering. For me, that's that's why. We don't blame, I, I don't see why you would blame God for uh, human beings acting like assholes. That's human's responsibility. And why that happened is a bunch of mistakes or whatever, you know. But suffering itself is a part of life. And it, yeah. I totally agree with you. You phrased that in a really nice <laughs> way. Yes. He, evil is human's maladaptation to suffering. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I um unfortunately I, I have to get to work. This has been that's okay. probably one of the best discussions I've had all year. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> and I hope well, it continues to be, but I want to have you back on, so I want to leave oh. us. Yeah, leave. thanks Benjamin. That was fun. Uh and uh I I got through it. I had suffered through it with my headache. I'm going to go. <laughs> oh, right, how is your headache? Yeah. It actually, towards the end, started to get worse. I thought okay. it was going away. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah. okay. Um, but thank you so much for, yeah, having me on. And that was fun. I don't really talk about those things a lot. So it's kind of cool. Thank to, you. I was, yeah, yeah. I, I think I said everything that I wanted to say about knowing that about you. And thank you for, I want to talk to people who have a living experience of, of uh, that rather than people who have a refined belief in all of the accumulated tradition, because I think the core of what drives it is that which isn't really, uh, once you understand that, then you can understand how it, religion is a very good thing in the world. Once, once you understand that it's, it's serving something else, it's yeah. serving that voice uh, or that, those experiences. Or it should be it, when, yeah. when applied in the right way, in, yeah. the, in a good faith way. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Have a nice day. Have a good day at work. You too. Thank all right. You. Bye. Thanks, Ciao. Congratulations for reaching the end of the discussion. If you enjoyed it, do be sure to leave a review or a comment or a thumbs up or whatever you need to do 
to show that glorious algorithm that this is some good stuff. And do be sure to go and check that back catalog as it is brimming full of fantastic conversations. Links to provide monetary support are down there in the description as well. Have a good night.